live. It feels like we live. It feels like we're pretty live. Yo, yeah. what's, what's good? What's good? You know what I mean? What up, everybody? I go by the name of QC. If you don't know, now you know. <laughs> uh, I'm here with a good friend of mine. Um, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm chilling, bro. You good? I'm good. I feel good. Yeah, man. I feel oh. like I knew you forever. Yeah. It's not true. Uh, we knew each other for how long? It's been a couple years now, right? Uh, a couple months, but you know, sometimes it feels pretty, it you know. It feels like a couple yeah. years. A couple months for real? Yeah, I think Maybe it's a like, few. You know, like four or five months, probably. Four yeah. or five? Yeah. yeah. You know what? I can sit with that. Yeah. Yeah, word. When I first met you, I thought you were a comedian. You did. The first, yeah. like, three times. Yeah. You yeah. thought I was a specific of me, and I was not, I was not that. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. because you're funny. I'm kidding. It is because you're funny. Yeah. Um, and, you know, particularly good with your words. So then, like, four months later, I got an implication that you write. This is true. It's I implication. Do not even like a, I'm a writer, or he's a writer. <laughs> I, I got like a whiff. Uh-huh. Oh, you write. Some hint of a writer around yeah. you, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it turns out you write your ass off. I do, yeah. Uh, Whether yeah. people read it or not, I'm writing my ass off, yeah. Yeah, bro. Like, you almost made me like reading. You know, you sent me one almost. of your articles. Almost. One, of, one of these days, we'll get there, yeah. You know, underline on almost. Yeah. You know, um, so first of all, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you for having me. Love being here. Yeah, man. You know what I'm saying? We ate, we had a star bar for those I'm, who don't know. I'm used to being out here just watching, but now I'm on the stage. Are you on the stage? This is going to change my... It's going to go straight to my head. Straight <laughs> straight to my head, yeah. That's what we need. That's yeah. what we like, man. Um, I remember the first thing that uh, I, I came across you being a writer is I, I said, uh, you, you had... You had that shirt on, actually. I said, nice shirt. You got my man Iverson with the fro. Alan Iverson, the truth, yeah. You're not from Philly. I'm not, no. It's an iconic slam cover. Maybe my second favorite player of all time after LeBron. Oh, what? And, yeah. And I've written for Slam Magazine. I think that's where you were going. You've written for Slam Magazine, I think magazine, that's where yeah. you, just, you were going there, yeah. <laughs> we did not do a pre-interview. I don't know if that's clear <laughs> to anyone listening to this. We've actually never met before. Actually, that yeah. part blew, that part slipped my mind, actually, because yeah. it, it, it reminds me of that conversation. I'm like, yo, you got this on-so. <laughs> you go, yeah, man. I, yeah. I, and I write for Slam. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a writer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you sent me this uh, this article. The article kind of fucked me up in the best way ever, man. Yeah. Uh, it was about LeBron James. It was. Can you, can you describe a little bit about like what that article was about? Sure, yeah. So that was back in 2016. That was when classic Cavs Warriors series, LeBron won his first title in Cleveland. At the time, I was um, at an inpatient treatment facility for obsessive compulsive disorder. I have a very severe form of that. And I was there for nine weeks. And I, when I left, I knew I wanted to write about it. I wasn't sure how to write about it. And basically every day we did like intense treatment and then every night I would watch. People who already kind of know about this shit, but if I put it in a basketball magazine, I get like all kinds of people who have never read any of this. They don't know what I'm talking about. And I can get a whole like string of people, especially like a sport. You know, um, you know I, I don't follow sports like that. I, I only come across stuff. I only know enough to get actual sports fans arguing with each other. Yeah. So it was very insightful hearing some of the things you was talking about, um, you know, and especially the, the oh shit moment. And I'm like, that's something people need to hear. Like this is at the most alpha alpha male you can think of. And he's like, yeah, I'm scared sometimes. Like that's uh, that connected with me. And like that's something I wanted to write about. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what what uh, platform was that for? That was in Slam Magazine. That was the first time. That I was Slam, Slam Magazine. A couple more essays. Um, now like, just wrapped filming of a, a documentary on OCD. Mm. Um, so yeah, I've been doing lots of advocacy work in that realm. So like, what are some things that inspire you to go move forward on this OCD stuff the way you do? 
And also, I got a question, like, how do you, people make a lot of OCD references and jokes to, like, make a point? Like, how does that stuff affect you? What does that make you think of when you hear that kind of stuff? Uh, I'll take the second one first. It's, it's fucking annoying. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, most people just don't know what the fuck they're talking about when they're like, you know, I have OCD because I like blue pens and not black pens. I'm like, well, does that like haunt? Does that haunt you for hours a day? Like, I mean, not to make like there are people like with that kind of OCD, but it haunts them for hours a day. Yeah. And the people who say it like that, they don't mean it that way. Um, so yeah, it gets like trivialized and like used as an eccentricity or a quirk and stuff like that. Uh, but it's really not. It's actually incredibly debilitating. Um, and that's part of like why I want to like talk about it in ways that make people understand that. And then to your first question, like you know, why talk about this at all? Yeah. Um, I would say I like first started like really like having symptoms of OCD when I was 13 and I didn't get diagnosed until I was 24. So that's 11 years I would have liked to have back. Mm. And then even though I was diagnosed at 24, I didn't get like effective treatment until like a year ago, like from now a year ago. So that's another seven years I would like back. Um, so a lot of like the advocacy work I'm doing is like how can, what can we do to like, you know, decrease that range. So instead of like, you know, 11 years, it's like, you know, couple of months until you get the treatment you need, a couple of weeks. Um, so for the kids out there who are like living the same way I did, I'd like to get them treatment as fast as possible. Yeah. So like, so some of that looks like, hey, you're already doing the work. Like you're talking about these things, you're speaking these things out into the, to the atmosphere. So it's no. like helping people understand that it's not just them going through it. So I can see it doing that. But then you also, you, you know, you, you, it's like things leading to like action type of stuff, right? Or like leading to certain foundations. How does, you know, how, how does some of that stuff work, you know? So everything we're talking about right now is just, none of that is like part of my job. This is all just stuff I do for fun, like yeah. volunteer stuff. Yeah. But my job is also very connected to that um, in that I'm the, the national field organizer for the Center for Popular Democracy. And what that means is um, it's like a nonprofit, like a national organization with like 50 plus smaller like um, affiliate organizations around the country. Mm. And like working in communities, you know, trying to improve healthcare, trying to improve workers' rights, trying to improve immigrants' rights. And I'm focused on all the healthcare stuff. So it's very tied into this, right? Um, so like we're pushing for like expanded, improved healthcare, you know, universal healthcare, ending overdose. Um, we're working on all these like big relief bills during COVID, trying to get people um, the coverage they need during COVID. Um, so that's very much tied into the mental health stuff I do on the side, right? That's very huge overlap. Um, and again, they're slightly different, but it's like very part of the same like mission, you know? Oh, shit. How'd you, how'd you get into that? Cause you know, I thought you was a comic. Found out you were a writer, and then you everything you just explained to me. I don't. I, it's I, it. It's, it sounds easy to understate. Like so, how did you get into that kind of work? Um, went to law school. After law school, like I knew I wanted to do something like this, but I didn't know what it would look like. And I was working at a place called Housing Works in New York, which work, hey. which does like um, HIV and housing work. Um, doing that for a while, then I was unemployed for a bit, went to the hospital for a bit. And then after that, um, Trump and the Republicans tried to repeal Obamacare. They tried to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. And some folks who I knew in this world like, said like, hey, we're gonna go down to DC. We're gonna do some protests. We're gonna, people are gonna get arrested. It's gonna be intense. Do you wanna come? And I'm like, fuck it, let's do it. Um, and I went down there and I told my mental health story a bunch of times. We did like civil disobedience and sit-ins and like Senate offices. Um, it's like day after day after day, I got arrested a couple of times. And then we convinced three Republican senators to protect the Affordable Care Act. So it was this huge victory. Woo. 
And like at the time, everyone was like, this is not going to happen. Like you're wasting your time. Like this shit's dead. Um, and it survived that year. And it survived another four more years of Trump. Um, so that was my first kind of on-ramp to that. And then I just kept going down for different actions and protests. They started giving me more responsibility. Like as a lawyer, I would do legal support for other protesters who were getting, getting arrested. Um, and I just annoyed enough people until they hired me as staff. Um, and then now I'm the national field organizer of that organization. Shit. You like that friend that everybody wears they had in the back pocket. <laughs> my friend's a lawyer. This can't be right. Yeah, no, I bonded with lots of my close friends by getting them out of jail. It's a unique way to meet someone. It's yeah. something about the index finger and being like, actually, it just change a lot of things, huh? <laughs> yeah. Actually, that is illegal. Yeah. All right, cool. So what about, so let's talk about, uh, so speaking of you being out there doing that stuff, you, uh, you, you, was, uh, you did some work related to SCOTUS, right? Yeah, Supreme right? Court. Yeah, we did, yeah. So can you explain to me a little bit about what SCOTUS is, what it does, and what you were doing in relation to that? Yeah, SCOTUS it just stands for Supreme Court of the United States. So it's just a Supreme Court. Um, and like throughout the Trump era, there were like various points in time where we were worried you know, about the Supreme Court being compromised. Like one was the Kavanaugh hearings, um, where we thought he was an illegitimate candidate who lied under oath. Lied under oath. Um, sexually assaulted people had no business being on the court um, and so again like we flooded DC did like arrests like protest after protest um, we weren't able to stop that and then later um, Trump nominated Amy Coney Barrett and similar thing we thought it was an illegitimate process so we protested that and there's lots of reasons to do that work because like no matter what issue you care about it eventually is gonna get up there to the Supreme Court we just saw a couple of weeks ago there oh, have already started gutting abortion rights which is something we feared. Um, but again, I went down for, like, for those healthcare reasons. Like I, these justices are gonna you know, invalidate our healthcare in one way or another. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's been a big part of our fight in trying to protect the court. Right now we're, we're trying to like, expand the court beyond nine justices so it's less political than it is now. Yeah, I hear you on that. I got a question. So like, what are like, some of the most, what are some of the most, what are some like, discouraging moments where you'd be like, what are we even doing this for? Versus some of the moments where you go, this is exactly why we do this. Ooh, good question. Um, so because I'm doing healthcare work in COVID, that's been very demoralizing. Because I'm, I'm, I lead our global vaccine work, which is, I don't know if people know, but it's called like vaccine apartheid. They're like the poorer countries are basically being left behind around the world. And like we're not giving them enough vaccines, we're not helping them manufacture vaccines. And so like we're trying to convince President Biden and other countries to, to share the vaccine technology and they're not really listening right now. To, so when you see that death toll climbing every day, like it's very demoralizing. Same with the overdose epidemic. So many of those overdoses are preventable. So many of it is because like people in Congress just don't care about people who use drugs. Um, so a lot of it is sitting with entirely preventable death. And again, I have like OCD and I obsess about like violent situations and people, you know, being lost. So. Yeah, I'm like endlessly triggered every day at work. It takes a lot of big toll out of me, which is partly why I'm at this bar every night with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, cheers to that. Um, so yeah, just seeing like pain and hurt and loss that is entirely preventable uh, gets you down. But having said that, there's been plenty of moments over time, like saving the ACA uh, is definitely one of them. ACA? The, sorry, the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare, yeah. Um, moments like that where you realize like, it was normal people who did that shit. Like it wasn't like any like brilliant leader or, you know, it was just like normal people with disabilities, people with mental illnesses, people who were like just telling their stories over and over again, saying like, if you take healthcare away, I'm gonna die. 
And I'm just like saying that over and over again until people were like, all right, we got you. And that's incredibly impactful to me because I feel like there's this like misperception that people have that like our work, like the normal people, our work ends on election day, right? Politicians take over, they're gonna do their thing, I'm gonna sit back. And for me, I actually think like our work starts on election day because they're not gonna do shit unless we make them do it. Like every big thing that's happened, it's because people have organized and made our leaders do it. So like we're the ones with the power, you know, like me, you, like everyone in this bar, all these people have power. And so like I see like my job as an organizer is like to make them see that, mm -hmm. make them understand what they can accomplish and then help them do it. Like be like, build people power, help them wield it. Like that's what an organizer is supposed to do. Much like a point guard on a basketball court, yeah. you know, trying to think of what player I could possibly reference right now. I don't know who it could be, who it could be. Uh, you know, court facilitator, someone who sees the court well. Right. Um, Somebody with court vision. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm wearing sneakers. I don't know. But um, yeah. So like those moments are always very impactful. Um, so that actually got my wheels turning because, you know, as somebody who's, you know, I, I get in a weird mood whenever I even think about the election process. When I think about politics in America, it's very hard to just stay, like, being like, we could do something about this. Yeah. Uh, what are, like, some, some things, like, is there, like, something that, like, somebody that's, like, a super-duper civilian feels super-duper connected from, like, a lot of the political processes outside of, you know, hearing about vote? Vote, vote, vote. Yeah. And but like not hearing about ways you can hold them accountable after the fact. Yeah. Is there like some scenarios or examples of like you seeing like this post election action that has that has made an effect? Yeah, like a lot of times people will re reach out like wondering what they can do. Um I would answer that in, like in two ways. Like if you wanna like get involved in the ways like I'm doing it, like I would encourage you to check out like your people, local organizers doing this work. Like if in if you're in New York, just like make the road New York, just like right over there is vocal. Um NYCC, Cuff, like you can look those up. Lots of like local organizations like doing very, very impactful work. You can hit them up, they'll invite you to their actions, invite you to their organizing meetings. And that's like building that power, holding, you know, leaders accountable. They'll take you to actions, they'll take you to, you know, lobby visits. Um, they'll put you on a platform where you can tell your story to your representatives. Um, so yeah, that's like one thing. But like, again, like you're an artist, right? Like people, the reason I'm at this bar is because of the open mic. Like that's how I first got here. Bro. That's the first time, yeah, I came here, I started talking to people, that's my first like inlet here. And like, that's part of the movement too. Like I like want people to understand, like if you're here creating shit, um, like that's very much part of this. Like I feel like lots of people think like, oh, like when you're doing a protest, you're like an action has to be around like rage and like anger. And like it does have to be about that, but it also has to be about like joy, right? And like beauty. So, like that's what we're fighting to protect otherwise like what the fuck is the point right right so like you need art you need music you need poetry um yeah, like, it doesn't all are, have to like involve you getting slammed on the ground by a cop exactly like there are many ways to do that so like there's a reason i'm here monday night like i walk out of here every monday night you know very energized and partly it's you know this but uh mostly it's the people on stage doing their thing uh like you did last night so um yeah like we definitely need art in this work and i know that's definitely an overlap there yeah it remind me of an organization called Urban Art Beat. Mm -hmm. uh, what they do is they they um, they really work hard to radicalize artists and like connect artists to like to movements and stuff like that. Because you know, for obvious reasons, yeah, you know, artists can do a great job at selling vodka. They can do a great job at selling like Lamborghinis and sneakers. Yeah, you know. So just imagine what they could do for like a you know a real true movement. So they 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 uh, help radicalize artists, educate them, and also help train new artists. 
and shit like that. It makes me think of things like that as far as like needing artists for these kinds of things. Yeah, like I can organize a super dope protest or like write a good essay. And that certainly has like some shelf life. But like before I got here, I was listening to Nina Simone's I Wish I Knew How It Felt to Be Free. And like, fuck, if you write that, that's going to be around for decades, for centuries, you know? Like, that's a whole different ballgame. So, like, we need people creating shit like that. It's Auntie Simone, man. Yeah. Word. Um, so, like, so, boom. So, you was a writer. How did you end up being a writer? What was that like? I don't remember the time when I wasn't. I was a little kid writing, like, Star Wars comics and, like, Michael Jordan cartoons. And I was always just... It's like... It's kind of like how I think. Like, sometimes people will ask me... Do you have a journal or a diary? I'm like, no, I just like will write an essay. Like that's that's how I think. I think through writing things. So, so you think in terms of like bodies write writing work? Yeah, like if I have a computer and a keyboard in front of me, I'm thinking much more clearly than I am like right now. Like I would just much much more faster with a keyboard. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Like I, me, I can talk all day, and it feels like I'm getting a certain point across and feeling yeah. fulfilled. When I'm writing, I'll end up overthinking and you know and think my way out of it or i'll struggle with encapsulating it beginning and ending point mm -hmm. sometimes so I, I always honor people who can write and they put it out there and they be like i'm satisfied i mean i've seen some of your rhymes man you can write you can write oh, shit, a little something man let me use metaphors waiting on the good. seat change hey yeah. <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh yeah bro um so uh there was those two man so we we cover the scotus we cover the uh, uh there's the movie coming out the movie Yes, can you yeah. tell me a little bit about the movie? Well, I'm not sure when it's coming out, but it's almost finished, and then it's going to go into the film circuit. This is a movie about OCD, and I'm one of the two subjects in it. And like to your point earlier, when you're like, lots of people talk about OCD, they don't know what they're talking about. This is like a movie about like the kinds of OCD like you don't really ever hear about. Like even if when it's like well depicted, it's usually about like neatness and hand washing, and this is about like stuff like no one ever talks about, like the kind of stuff that's harder to talk about. Um, can, can we get like a, a little example? Yeah, so I have harm OCD, which basically means um, I obsess about, I get these thoughts that like people I love are in danger. Um, and my mind convinces me that it's real. And so then I'll have these like compulsions where I'm like trying to like convince myself that they're safe and I'll yeah. just like go over and over and over yeah. again. So it's kind of like PTSD, whereas PTSD looks backwards at like real shit. This looks forwards at like fictional shit that my mind is just making up. But like it's a very similar experience and it feels real. And like when people think of OCD, they usually don't think of anything like that. Um, so like I talk about it in the movie, like in detail, like you know, walk people through it. I remember I think you mentioned that in an article about the LeBron James thing. Uh, and I remember like something else that like it was like another old shit moment for me about like what people say to somebody that's experiencing something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and like they might think they're helping, but it's they're not really helping. Like being like, no, oh, everybody's fine. Exactly. And rather than being like that, being like, well, if they are, if they're not fine. That's a possibility. Yeah. You didn't like, kind of like go in that direction. You talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's like the heart of that, of that article. It's like if a, a healthy friend, like a, you know, any friend of yours said like they're worried about something and you kind of knew like that's fine, like that's not going to happen. You would just say like, hey, don't worry about that. Like that's, that's good. Like you're going to be fine. But when someone with OCD, like if you actually said that, it makes it worse because they're just going to ask you again in two minutes and then four minutes and then six minutes because they like need that, you know, compulsive reassurance. Um, so it may seem cruel, but like if your friend actually has OCD, it's better to say like, yeah, who knows? Like, we, know, we don't know. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't have control over this world. And like make them sit with the uncertainty and like the doubt. And like someone with OCD, if you can like sit with the doubt 
and still do what you want, then you're fine. You can like you can function like I'm functioning. But if you can't sit with it, then you're just going to be in your head all day long. And so like the phrase like in that article is it's possible. Like yeah, it's possible. Maybe your friend is in danger. You know, maybe you did leave the stove on and there's a fire. Maybe you didn't wash your hand right and there's like bacteria on your hand. Maybe, like I don't know, no one fucking knows. Yeah. Um, so just like sitting with that doubt is yeah. kind of the heart of that. That's so beautiful too, because it, it, it circles back to like the article and the way you tied those two together. Yeah, LeBron, somebody might block your game winning shot. Yeah, you might lose in the finals and like the whole world might like make fun of you for the entire off season. Yeah. That might happen. That did happen. And then he came back and won four titles. So fuck it. Yo, I ain't gonna lie. Reading that article, that sat with me ever since. And mm -hmm. I always try to remind myself of being like more comfortable with the possibility of failure. Yeah. And that article was a great reminder for that. So thank you for that. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. You got like a, you know, website, the things that or a way for people to like, get yeah, look super at work. easiest way to, to see it is just go. It's just my name. It's vinaykrishnan.com. And if you're watching this, I guess my name's in the bottom. So just, you know, vinaykrishnan.com. And that has all my writing, everything I've ever written. Um, Instagram is Vinay Ramke. Twitter is Vinay R. Krishnan. Um, Instagram is mostly more silly stuff. But uh, there's occasionally some serious stuff on there, too. Um, <laughs> some of your photography on it. That's true. That's true. You got to get um, your portfolio. But yeah, the website's the best place to go like, to read about this stuff. Yeah, yeah bro. You know. um, well, y'all, listen. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for your time and like of course. going into this with us, bro. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Appreciate we'll it. Probably have you back for another update and all that. Yeah, let's get a few of these first, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good there. to me. <laughs> right. Sounds good to me, man. Yo, this is In a Mix, No Artist Info. Uh, I go by the name of QC. Thank you to Dan Victor Productions. Um, and also, like, uh, if you like this shirt, you can go to uh, Blackland Ownership. Uh, I think it's .org. Just look, Google Blackland Ownership, Chris Carr. Um, you know, uh, what they do is they raise uh, funds and awareness uh, and they educate people about black land ownership and also the support projects around that, you know. Um, and we're filming live at Star Bar, you know, it was a uh, shout out to Mayday Space. Uh, definitely do your research. They both about that work. And, you know, y'all be easy, man. Tell your mom the set was popping, yo. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Let's get body here. That was fun. See? Yeah, it was good shit. <laughs> <laughs>